Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and uh, I'd like to give a quick shout-out to a couple of my sponsors to say thank you for uh, their support of the show. Um, I would like to thank Nevada Couture and CJ Tours. Um, and also Walgreens, who are uh, big supporters of the program here and, and help us to uh, bring it to you every week. Uh, I'm thrilled to be joined today by a woman who is calling us actually from Canada. Her name is Lynn Poslins. And Lynn is the president and founder of the Women's Brain Health Initiative. And what that is, is a global charitable foundation, uh, which is raising money for research and education to combat the brain aging diseases that affect women. Lynn, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, I have so many questions for you. This is a topic that that I'm fascinated with. Um, but of course, I'd like to learn a little bit more about you and your background and uh, where you came from and how you came to do this work. Uh, so talk, talk for a few minutes about your years growing up in Toronto. Uh, one of three in in a, a tight knit family. There, can you talk about that? Yes, because I never thought um, at this stage this is where I would be. It's funny where life takes you. Um, but I had uh, grown up and gone to school here in Toronto, like you said, one of three uh, children, um, to a family that was very involved in the clothing uh, retail business. And uh, I went to university here and got a, two degrees, including a master's of business. And I went into uh, the retail business, and I loved it uh, and did that for many years. Um, I guess about 15 years ago, I joined my family uh, in a different uh, business venture, and that was to... Uh, 
uh, get involved in uh, venture capital. Um, but on the side, my fa- all the members of my family have been involved in um, uh, various philanthropic causes, um, mostly in the healthcare arena, but not necessarily, and also in the arts. Um, and I was doing uh, fundraising on the side for an organization here in Toronto called Baycrest, which focuses on uh, brain health. And I got exposed to some statistics uh, for women in this area that for me, as I'm getting older, were frightening, and I started to do fundraising for that organization, and it, the, the cause became so compelling to me that I actually gave up my career, left that organization, and, and actually started the Women's Brain Health Initiative. So even though there's no dementia in my family, um, I guess I was uh, involved in fundraising for Baycrest, and that led me into this, this area, which again... Three years ago, I never thought it's where right. I would be, right. or that I would be a full-time philanthropist. Right, right. Well, you know, um, you, you've spoken about the philanthropy that was instilled in you as a young girl. Yes. What types of things um, were your parents involved with as far as philanthropy? Um, everything from the Royal Ontario Museum uh, to a number of the hospitals here and also to a number of causes um, in Israel. So, again, it, it ran the gamut, mostly healthcare, but a lot of cultural uh, activities mm-hmm. um, as well. Schools, we've been involved in funding uh, fundraising for schools, both on a small and large scale. Um, so the interests were varied, and we were always encouraged to participate, not just in terms of writing the check, which we uh, fortunately were in a position to do, but also to um, give of our time. Uh, so even to this day, both uh, my siblings are uh, involved in various uh, charities, as are uh, my own three children, and, and all their children, too. It is something that was instilled in us, um, as you said, at a, at a very young age, and it's important to make sure that future generations also stay involved. And again, it didn't matter the cause. It was whatever talked to you. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. Um, you know, and philanthropy is one thing, but but leadership is another. Um, I think that there's probably people involved in philanthropy and different causes, and mm-hmm. um, and then there's other people that see a need and and are drawn to a cause and they take charge. And I would say that you know you you've done that with this organization. Yes. Did were you always um, a leader as a young woman? You know, in, in high school, for instance. Were you someone that, you know, that led the way? Um, I would say yes, more as I uh, matured and became more confident. Um, But again, that was something that was instilled uh, in uh, me and my sister, particularly from my dad, because um, as we were growing up, there were still many women who stayed home um, or had sort of mid-level careers. Uh, but uh, both my parents encouraged both me and my sister to to do whatever it was that we wanted to do and go as far as we could, which is why the education piece was important um, to give give uh, me the confidence anyways that I could do what I wanted to do and could compete with anybody else, male or female, at the senior level. Mm-hmm. So again, something that was encouraged. Uh, my sister's a lawyer, actually, a business uh, tax lawyer, but both of us were encouraged right from a, an early age to to do as go as high as we could yeah. and with full support. That's and fortunately, both of our spouses also <laughs> were very encouraging in terms of doing that because there was a lot of times, especially with the young family, where I just wasn't home. Right. <laughs> you know, yes. I was traveling across the country. I was traveling in Europe because I was in the fashion business. Um, I was in uh, the Orient, and my kids were young at the time. 
And so you definitely need a support system at home to be able to do that. That's right. Now, eventually, you, your degree is in commerce and finance, yes. and you have a master's in business. Yes. Um, was that your interest, again, as a young girl in high school? What types of activities were you involved in? Um, well, it was, uh, in school, it was definitely on the maths and sciences uh, okay. area. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was sort of the, that's why business appealed to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, again, it was maybe more of the traditional types of degrees that were available. You know, today the, the kids today have many more options in terms of, um, you know, uh, pursuing their own interests. There's many uh, community colleges and specialty areas today that didn't exist. Um, but business was uh, more of a traditional uh, route, and I could go from there into many different fields. So, and can you talk a little bit about the, um, the your career uh, prior to founding the organization? Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, I, uh, I I grew up in the in the fashion arena, and I ran a uh, national clothing chain here. I think at one point we had about 160 stores across Canada. Um, it was in the junior women's area. Mm-hmm. Um, when I left that, I actually uh, partnered with a Canadian clothing designer in the manufacturing area. It was a lot of fun. I lost a lot of money, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, it's very tough to, um, uh, uh, I guess, be successful um, in the uh, fashion manufacturing area mm-hmm. when your consumer base is small. Um, and there's lots of competition. But it was I had, a, I had a great time, as I said. Um, and then I joined my family in the private venture area, which allowed us to invest uh, our money personally into various businesses that were of interest to our family. Right. Okay. Um, I, I read that you said, um, I, I'd love to know when this kind of aha moment came for you. Um, and you mentioned that you, you really became incensed when you learned about the statistics of the research um, yeah. or, or lack of the disparity and research for women and brain health. Yes. And what, what brought that to light for you? What was that moment? Um, again, the, uh, the organization that I uh, was involved with, uh, Baycrest, and I was raising money for Baycrest at the time and through their foundation. And uh, Baycrest has the Rotman Research Institute as part of its structure, um, which is filled with neuroscientists. And it was by understanding more about the work that they do uh, around uh, brain health, that I became aware of the statistics, like 70% of new Alzheimer's sufferers will be women, that women suffer from dementia and uh, other brain diseases like depression and even stroke as they age twice as much as men. But the research is still focused on men. In fact, at the grassroots level of research, they study the male rat because the hormones in the female rat make them too complex. And I'm, what? Wow. <laughs> Excuse me? Um, that doesn't make sense to me. And when I started to explore this more, I really discovered that this was a fairly widespread issue, not just obviously within that organization, but globally there was not a lot of focus for women in this area. And the same way they recognized over 20 years ago that a man's heart attack was different than a woman's heart attack, and for a healthier outcome for both, they really should look at them separately. It, there appears to be something going on with the brain that make women more susceptible to, the, to these diseases than men. So why is the research focused on the men? So that was the first thing that sort of came to my mind is why not? Mm-hmm. So, and there's a few reasons. 
not just because the hormones make the female more complex, and that, that's definitely an issue because it means it's more costly to study female than male because they want to discount for the hormone cycle. Um, part of it was historical. So when they're looking at diseases like Alzheimer's, they went to a place where they could find a lot of uh, patients that tended to be in veterans hospitals, which again was male-dominated. So that was sort of early um, studies. But then there, be, I guess as time went on, it, it became sort of politically incorrect to necessarily look male versus female, because unless it was what they called bikini medicine, meaning breast cancer or menopause or um, uh, um, pregnancy, unless it was those type of issues, you should look at everybody the same. So any other area of the body should be considered the same. But again, as time went on, people now are starting to realize that does not necessarily make sense. Um, there was a, a terrific um, segment on 60 Minutes not too long ago that talked about the drug Ambien, which is a sleep drug, mm -hmm. and they were sh um, highlighting the fact that there were many uh, accidents and fatalities early in the morning by women drivers more so than men, and they discovered that these women had Ambien still in their system in the morning. And that got them to explore the reasons why, and they found that women were synthesizing this drug, I guess, in the liver differently than men. And they ended up having the dosage of Ambien for women as men. And, you know, 60 Minutes was up in the FDA's face saying, you know, what other, you know, medications are you looking at differently for men and women and they said, well, we're not because it's too expensive. And in the course of this um, interview, they were looking at and speaking with different uh, medical professionals and scientists, and they showed the rats. They showed the fact that they were studying the male rat, and these were female scientists who had never considered that there may be a problem. And it's like, okay, this is my story. <laughs> this is my good story. Come on the big screen, you know? Yeah. Um, so there are more people that are looking at this issue than when I started this, you know, three years ago. Yeah. Well, you know, that number jumped out to me, 70%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so 70% of Alzheimer's patients will be women. What is that number today? today it's probably around 63%. Wow. But it's trending that way. Now, the biggest risk factor for dementias is aging. Um, but, and yes, women, you know, tend to outlive men, but there's more going on than simply the difference with age. You know what, that's interesting that you say that, Lynn. I was, I was speaking to my husband this morning about this interview, and, and of course he said to me, well, you know, men are dying and women are outliving us, and that is why, um, you know, perhaps they, they suffer these um, these mental illnesses. Yes. But, you know, clearly I don't think anyone can argue that there's, a, you know, women's brains are different from men's brains <laughs> and that it, everything should be studied differently. Right, right. Yeah. And, again, this, this should be in all areas of medicine. Right. Right, heart, brain, everything, because at least understand if there is a difference, you know, and if there is, then look at them differently. Um, even in clinical studies, and uh, you know, if they, if they include male and female, but they don't separate out the results, you're probably averaging down, you know, for both sexes. 
because you're not looking at them separately. So as in the case, for instance, with this Ambien, if, if they did do clinical trials at one stage where they included human studies mm-hmm. and they included male and women, but they didn't look at them separately, you're, you know, you're not necessarily giving the right dosage to the men the same way you're not giving it to the women. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. So t- Lynn, tell me what, you know, when you decided you were going to do something about this, you know, mm-hmm. and you really wanted to make a difference, what was the very first thing you did, uh, the first step you took to to, you know, launch this initiative? Uh, I wanted to get legal exempt status <laughs> because as a charity, I thought it was important that people contribute um, and be able to get their charitable receipt. Um, and then I needed to put together a marketing package that was going to be compelling because there's lots of great causes out there. And how am I going to, you know, break through with a new initiative the first thing I had to do, you know, was raise awareness. Right. Let people know that this disparity existed. Yes. You know, where women seemed more susceptible, but the research was focused on men. Mm-hmm. So I had to go the legal route, right? And then I had to go the communications route to let people know that the charity existed and, you know, why this was an important cause to rally behind. Now, have you received, um, you know, any pushback from you know, the scientists and who have, you know, historically been doing the research the way they've been doing the yeah. research? Or are they... Yeah, there's still, yeah, there's still a lot that don't feel that it's necessary to do this, which floors me. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and again, it, it, not just in this area of, of, of science in terms of brain, but, but in many areas. Uh, but more and more are starting to recognize that this is important. Yeah. And that it's important to look at separately by sex and gender, the difference sort of being the difference between the XY chromosome on the sex side, but the gender in terms of the societal role that may be imposed on men versus women and and what impact that may have. Um, let, let's talk about the female brain and some of the, uh, your, your website is, is really wonderful and, and I'll be sure to give that information <laughs> out so people can go there. It's, yeah. it's really full of lots of great information and and studies and results, um, but that are very kind of easy for us non-scientists to understand. Which was important, right? Yes. It's it's great to have the science, but if you don't understand science speak... That's exactly (laughs) um, right. You know, you have to be able to interpret it. That's right. So um, there are tools, you know, to to keep the brain healthy. Yeah. And I think we, we do see a lot of that in the news these days. There's, um, my gosh, I think there's even apps, you know, to yeah. um, that you can use to kind of train and, and exercise your brain. But what are some of the tools that you have found specifically for women? Yeah. Um, well, I'm just going to step back for a minute and say that oh, the other thing that I've, I've discovered a few things by being exposed to the research, um, not just the statistics, but uh, uh, in terms of the men versus women. But th- what I was surprised about was that the major to find out about was that the majority of dementia cases are lifestyle related, not because of a genetic susceptibility. So that means that you have the opportunity to influence your cognitive health as you age. Mm-hmm. So what are those? lifestyle factors that are both good for you and bad, male or female. Um, so I, I'll, I'll give you the whole list of bad, but the good, ironically, 
I use the acronym MENS, M-E-N-S, and then I add an extra S at the end. So these are the things that are good for your brain health, and, and they're fairly easy, too, mm-hmm. to at least say whether or not you do them is, a, is, is another thing. But M, mental stimulation. Um, you talked about the games that are available and the apps that are available. It's really important to exercise your brain like it's a muscle. Um, and what does that mean? It can mean simple things, like if you're right-handed, brushing your teeth with your left hand. It can mean not driving the same route to work every day. Yes, it can be more complex. You can learn another language. You can learn how to tango. All those things are great for your brain if they're different, because what it means is you're developing new neural pathways. You're uh, improving your brain plasticity, meaning that if one area of your brain starts to deteriorate, other areas can take over. Mm. So it's very important, and mental stimulation. E-exercise. More and more uh, research is showing that exercise is great for your brain health, not just your heart, your brain, because it improves the blood flow to the brain, and it increases the size of your hippocampus, which is where the memories are stored. Uh, N, nutrition. Again, what's good for your heart is good for your brain. So what you eat, they do reference the Mediterranean-style diet. What does that mean? fish for the omega-3s, nuts, seeds, uh, fruits, vegetables, um, red wine, not the bottle maybe, just the glass, Um, coffee, also good for your brain health in terms of the antioxidants. Um, uh, So what you eat definitely impacts your brain health, and it shouldn't be a high-fat diet or a high-sugar, high-salt. All those things they now know pass the blood-brain barrier and damage the brain. Mm-hmm. And then S, social stimulation. It's, it's social engagement. It's important to do what you like and do it with who you like to do it with. This decreases stress. It decreases the incidence of being isolated and depression, all of those things bring, being precursors to uh, dementia. And then I add another S because more research lately is showing the importance of sleep. Now, this is one thing I do not do well, <laughs> admittedly. <laughs> Um, but sleep seems to remove those toxins in your brain and the accumulation of the plaques, which is one of the hallmarks of Alzheimer's disease. So sleep also very important. So M-E-N-S with the extra S. Those things are all very good for your brain health. Things that we know are bad for brain health, um, smoking, uh, diabetes when you don't control it, obesity, high blood pressure, um, sedentary lifestyle, again, poor diet, uh, chronic stress, heavy drinking, all those things bad for brain, not just other parts of your body. Mm-hmm. Well, these, you know, they, these all seem to be very consistent with, you know, things that we've heard over the years. And um, the, the one thing that stood out for me is for us to make a conscious effort not to, to, to do routines. In other words, our, you know, we tend to be comfortable yes. uh, with routines and, and kind of doing the same habits every day. But it's not that difficult to, to be aware and try to do it a little differently, you know, drive to work a, a, a different way or brush your teeth with your left hand. Right. Um, that's kind of, you know, that's an easy step that you can take. Um, what a great idea. The, um, again, the, the, they are simple things. Not mm-hmm. everybody does them, though. But the other yeah. thing that I learned, which was fascinating, is that, and this is really important for younger people, you can't think of dementias as an old person's disease, not just because there are incidences of early onset Alzheimer's and things like that, but 
by the time symptoms occur, the damage to the brain can happen 20 years prior, which is, again, scary because... You know, it means when you're in your 30s and 40s, you've got to start looking after your brain health so that when you are in your 70s and 80s, you've got it together cognitively, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Um, and this is whether you're genetically susceptible or not. You really have to start thinking about it earlier in, in your life. So, you know, again, with parents with young kids, it's instilling these things, um, uh, you know, in your children to make, you know, the right kind of decisions in terms of, you know, mental stimulation, which, of course, will happen as you're at school. But, you know, the exercise, the nutrition piece, all really important. And when I had kids, I mean, I wasn't thinking about their brain health, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. So, it, you know, the earlier you start in, instilling these things in your kids, I think the better. Exactly. Um, so when I was preparing for today, I, I read something on your website um, that kind of stood out for me. Um, an international team has successfully determined uh, with a level of precision never achieved before the location in the brain where memories are generated. Yes. Um, gosh, I, I think first I was surprised that it, this is only something of late. I, I would have thought that might have been something they would have been able to determine um you know, some years ago, but what, you know, in light of this discovery, what are the next steps um, now that they've determined that? Well, you know, these, these, the brain is complex. (laughs) And um, the more they understand different parts of the brain, the better, because there's different dementias and they affect different parts of the brain. So understanding the memory center can be different than understanding behavior centers, you know. Or emotion, yeah. Right? Yeah, so so it's important that, you know, they understand um, more and more about the brain. And again, in terms of Alzheimer's specifically, at one point, they could only confirm Alzheimer's when they did an autopsy. But again, as more research is, is going into this area, they are looking at other uh, ways, biomarkers in the blood, for instance, um, and other sort of uh, processes to understand if you do have these diseases and then where in the brain you're being impacted so that they can ultimately come up with the solutions, right? If they don't understand these things, they won't come up with the right um, uh, drug, for instance, or, uh, you know, other uh, treatment uh, to make improvements for people. And it appears that almost like cancers, these things aren't, you know, one size fits all. They're very specific to the individual because they, when they did do autopsy, they did find these plaques and tangles in the brain, but the person never showed any signs of mental deterioration, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in other cases, they um, uh, appear to have dementia, but when they did the autopsy, there wasn't the plaques in the brain. So these things led to, well, what else might be causing the problem? You know, so it, 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 it is very complex and they don't have all the answers. Right. Um, and again, as the population ages, and, it, you know, aging being the most um, important cause for dementias, they really, you know, more science has to be dedicated to this area. Yes. When would you say, and I don't know if you know this or not, but just in general, um, science and research is done on all, all parts of the body. Mm-hmm. And the brain itself, um, when would you say that they started to realize, you know, it was an organ just like every other part of the body? 
Well, I don't know that I can pinpoint an exact date. I, I mean, in general, as far as science itself being, you know, designated to the research of the brain. It, well, I'd, other, say, I'd say it's escalated in the past decade. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, and again, you know, I, I often wonder, and, and I'm sure, you know, most people do, whether it's hereditary, you know. Um, Some is. Mm-hmm. There is definitely um, uh, a genetic um, link on some cases, but not all. And again, the majority of dementia cases are not because of a genetic predisposition. Right. And even if you are genetically susceptible, as I said, there are things you can do, like those lifestyle factors that are going to improve the outcome. The other thing, I, I, you know, that um, I read a lot about is, you know, getting diagnosed early. And you know, there's a lot of stigma attached, the same way there was with mental illness, right, um, in, in, in the sense of um, uh, depression and other uh, um, types of uh, cognitive-related uh, issues. Um, there's still a lot of stigma around this person has dementia. And, you know, people need to, I guess, be a little more open-minded with all these areas because, Almost everybody's going to be affected one way or another. They're either going to succumb themselves or they're going to be looking after somebody that does have one of these, you know, disorders. Yeah, I think we're seeing um, today, in today's world, uh, a lot more, uh, not, not focus, but openness on the topic of mental illness. Yes. And, um, and you're right. It is, it's something that should be discussed and, and people should be educated on it as much as any other illness. Yes. Um, because the brain gets old just like, you know, the rest of our body gets old. You know, we've had some discussions in here about, um, and women in particular who suffer from depression, um, and how much better their lives are when they are able to discuss it openly. That's right. Uh, and early diagnosis on any of these things always results in a better outcome. Right. Yes. But to have that support as well from, yes. from people around you in the workplace, especially yes. um, to not be able to, you know, be open about those struggles um, makes it difficult and, and, and can affect your success, you know, from a professional standpoint. Um, I wanted to talk about the organization, Lynn, and, and a little bit more. And, you know, fundraising is a tough, tough thing to do. And um, you've been very, very successful over the years in, in raising, you know, millions of dollars for, for different causes. And I wonder if you can talk about what your, um, your strategy is in, in the fundraising piece of what you do. Uh, well, we have, um, as an all businesses, you need to have different revenue streams, right? Because at any one point in time, one may be working for you and one not. So in terms of uh, the Women's Brain Health Initiative, we have five revenue streams. Um, one of the most important is the direct personal donations from people. And uh, it's making a compelling case, I guess, you know, to, to people in terms of, you know, writing that personal check. Um, that's been our, uh, a huge area of, um, uh, of revenue for us. It's just the one-on-one -on -one donations. And again, any amount, because it adds up. It could be $50, it could be $500, $5,000. Any level of support is always welcome for any charity. <laughs> uh, the second is corporate support. Mm -hmm. And this is something that we're just starting to uh, develop more. There's a lot of organizations that have... Um, you know, a charitable component. And 
you know, unless somebody has a direct connection to the cause, it's hard to get a charity to necessarily write the check. And more and more companies are being strategic in terms of their charitable giving. That's right. Which makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because there's so many. There's so many. Yes. So, So, you know, it's important to understand which uh, organizations, um, you know, have a a corporate social responsibility strategy that deals with women or health issues or inclusion issues. Um, Those are the ones that are more likely to get involved with an organization like like ours. Um, The third is events. It is hard to make money as a charity with events. Um, so we pick and choose them very carefully. We've had some great ones, um, some very high-profile ones, which get us press, which is good because the more you can raise awareness for your organization, you know, the more likely someone is to write a check. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do have events, and we've uh, had them across uh, Canada. And, in fact, we're um, hoping to start launching in the U.S. in the spring because we are also a 501c3, which is great. Um, the fourth is through uh, something that we call a hope knot, as in K-N-O-T, like a knot. Um, it's the symbol of our charity, our pink ribbon, if you will. Uh, this was designed by a jeweler um, here in Toronto. His name is Mark Lash. And he had both a parent and an in-law parent that had dementia, and so he wanted to get involved with our charity. And he created the symbol, which is part of our logo, but it's also... Um, uh, it started off as a pin. Uh, it's a very intricate, um, I guess, loose interpretation of the brain. It's a bit Celtic looking. Um, and the way we came up uh, with the concept was, you know, we started off with tying a knot on, around your finger so you don't forget. And we tied a knot on top of a knot on top of a knot. And a series of knots came down from this string. And you looked at it from the side, it sort of looked like, you know, the side of the brain. It wasn't mm-hmm. very attractive, though. <laughs> so instead of looking at the side of the brain, we decided, you know, let's look top down at the brain and create a stylized series of knots and call it a hope knot. Will you forget? We hope not. And that's sort of the evolution of this um, symbol. And uh, you can get to it through our web- website or through hopenot.org also. Um, and, and we've evolved it into different uh, products. Right. Um, so there's the pin, and there's different levels of the pin. We sell both stainless steel pin uh, for $10. makes a great stocking stuffer, for instance. But we um, have the stainless steel pins as well as sterling silver ones. And we have cufflinks because there's lots of men that want to support the women in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but it evolved into other products as well. We have, you know, T-shirts with the symbol. We have some black leather purses with the symbol. We even introduced something called Hope, and it's an aromatherapy. It's to de-stress, so it's uh, lavender-based. But um, it's because the reason that we chose uh, stress uh, to focus on is because um, chronic levels of stress, again, can be a precursor to uh, dementia. So it was sort of a, a nice way to uh, marry the two, mm-hmm. de-stress as well as uh, to support the, the charity. So these are various ways that people can, you know, give a gift that has meaning to it, extra meaning to it because of the charitable component. Um, that's the fourth way. And the fifth way is actually through a, a sister site um, of ours called Memory Morsels or MemoryMorsels.org. And it's all around the nutrition side. So um, 
as I said, nutrition was one of those lifestyle factors that can positively impact your cognition or your, your brain health. So it's a website that's filled with great recipes, great tasting recipes, all with uh, brain healthy products. Uh, but there's also a charitable component because a lot of people like to entertain at home, whether it's with your friends or family or you know, your coworkers, um, you, you can, uh, it's basically a party kit. You know, it's got great uh, recipes, it's got um, brain-healthy tips, it's got sort of party planning ideas, and there's a, a, a place if you want to uh, ask your guests to, instead of bringing a hostess gift, you might do a donation instead to the charity. There's donation forms and whatever. You can donate online. Um, so uh, memory morsels. So that's sort of the fifth revenue stream. So it's a combination of all these things that I think have helped make us successful as a charity in terms of fundraising because different things appeal to different people. That's right? right. So you've got to sort of put things out there that are interesting for people that might be easy for them to get involved with the charity through one of these five ways. Yeah, that's great. Um, Lynn, we're going to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit about your take on um, the importance and effectiveness of meditation. We'll be right back, everyone, with Lynn Poslins, president and founder of the Women's Brain Health Initiative. Are you looking for something special to wear to an event, on a date, or out with the girls? Nevada is a Philadelphia-based luxury label designed for the effortlessly chic global nomad. Our ready-to-wear and custom pieces, which include bridal wear by the way, are inspired by artistry and travel. The line is intriguing and exotic. After all, fashion should create a sense of escape. So go ahead, escape with Nevada, and make a timeless impression. Please visit us online at nevadacouture.com. Have you ever wondered about the magic of Paris? Traveled there before? You haven't experienced Paris until you've traveled with us. I'm Chloe Johnson, the owner of CJ Tours. I became hooked on the mystique of all things Parisian after just one visit to the city of light. CJ Tours, a travel, fashion, and product company, provides an experience unlike any other when it comes to exploring the hidden gems of Paris. We connect you with boutiques off the beaten path. We provide the opportunity to go behind the scenes with some of the most celebrated designers Paris has to offer. You can even purchase one-of-a-kind French pieces as mementos of your trip or ask us to source that special piece just for you. CJ Tours and our unique products are designed to provide that Parisian je ne sais quoi and allow you to experience Paris like never before. To learn more, contact me at Chloe Johnston at cjshoppingtours.com or simply visit chloejohnston.com for more information. Welcome back, everyone, to this week of Women to Watch. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm being joined uh, today by Lynn Poslins. Lynn is uh, joining us by phone from Canada, and Lynn is the president and founder of the Women's Brain Health Initiative. Um, it's a wonderful organization that is uh, raising money for research and education to combat the brain aging diseases in women in particular. Um, Lynn had, you know, Lynn's background was actually in, in commerce and finance, but she came um, to realize this disparity in research for, for women and brain health versus men. Um, one of the things, Lynn, I think is a very hot topic today, and I'm sure, you, you know, you hear about it as much as I do, is this uh, topic of, of mindfulness and meditation and the value in in doing that, and it affects not only the physical self but certainly the brain. 
Um, what is your take on that? The meditation? Do you, is it something that you do? Is it something you've learned, you know, some statistics about? Yeah. Um, I don't do it personally, although I probably should. Um, <laughs> but um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, there was just a, actually a, a recent study, very recent study um, by Harvard um, that showed uh, it was an eight-week program of mindfulness meditation, and they found that it not only reduced stress um, uh, and gave you sort of a sense of sort of inner peace, but they actually are now proving that it's been important for your gray matter, like scientifically, not just this sort of euphoric sense that you get, but they're actually saying it may in fact change the structure of your brain. Um, so, you know, that that's new. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's different, this, this goes back to the stress issue. And I actually have a funny story, but um, because, you know, women tend to experience stress differently than men. And uh, one of the uh, researchers that I uh, came uh, into contact with from uh, McGill University in Montreal um, was doing studies on, um, on stress and chronic levels of stress. And they found that um, as men and women age, um, their reliance on their spouse and the corresponding stress level differed. So they actually found that men found their spouses, as they got older, stress-reducing, but women found their spouses stress-enhancing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he wondered if that uh, <laughs> women, you know, had um, uh, higher levels of dementia than men. But um, that issue aside, um, one of the things that he said is people – have different ways of trying to deal with their stress. And it's important to deal with their stress. So for some, it may be yoga or meditation. For others, it may be going to the spa and getting a massage. For others, it may be doing shopping until they get the bill maybe. But, you know, it, different people may have different things that can reduce their stress. But what I found particularly interesting was this Harvard study, that it's more than just reducing the stress level. It's actually... Um, uh, doing more, more benefit for your brain. So, yes, there appears to be more and more research in this area, which is great. Well, you know, I was laughing to myself the other day because I find myself stressing out that I don't have the time to meditate <laughs> or be mindful. <laughs> yes, no, it, it, that's true. And, you know, it's, um, there's um, a doctor here that's actually, she's on our board, Dr. Vivian Brown, and she speaks um, about stress and exercise. And, you know, Hectic, she says, is not the same thing. You know, being physically hectic, so, you mm -hmm. know, running up and down the stairs, right. you know, doing a yes. laundry, running to get your kids to and from work, whatever. Yes. That's not, you know, that's not exercise. You have to, you know, even be mindful about the exercise that you're doing to have the benefit that it's supposed to have on your overall body. Right. Yeah. Well, and that, that's interesting. And I, I, I would say that being, you know, hectic, you know, you're, when I think about you and the work that you're doing, you're, you're, you're probably busy morning to night, right? And yeah. you've got a lot of things going on and it can be hectic, but you might not necessarily be having a stressful day where other days when things aren't going the way they're supposed to, yes. you know, you feel the stress and there's yes. a difference. And again, there. stress is really bad for you. It releases the cortisol in your system mm -hmm. and um, affects all like many areas of your body, but but also your 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 brain and your cognition for sure can negatively impact your your brain health. Yeah, and um, again, a lot of caregivers uh, have tremendous levels of stress. Yes, and again, 
can be a precursor to dementia, and a lot of caregivers actually succumb themselves. Yeah, that's because they don't do enough to balance. Well, they're not focusing on them. You know, it, they they, they focus. That's they right. feel that it's selfish to focus right. on themselves that's and right. not realize it. Again, it's the same thing as those. You know, when you're in the airplane and they tell you with those oxygen masks. Yeah, mm-hmm. you got to put it on yourself first before you put it on your child. Absolutely. Right. So it's the yes. same kind of thing. You've got to look after yourself so you you know have the ability to care for others. Right. Yeah. Um, Lynn, what are the what are the five golden rules that you talk about uh, on your website? Right. Okay. So very similar to what I had mentioned earlier, um, in terms of you know what's what are the lifestyle factors that are that are good for brain versus not good for brain. Mm-hmm. But yes, I just posted an article uh, a couple of days ago about these five golden rules. So I'm going to just flip to that. Um, again, it does center around issues like uh, nutrition. Mm-hmm. what you're eating, um, smoking being bad for you and to keep away from that, treating and preventing diabetes, uh, high blood pressure, obesity, uh, again, for risk reduction. But again, regular exercise, again, they talk about the Mediterranean diet, not smoking, no heavy drinking, um, all important for brain health. So again, very similar to the type of things that I, that I had been saying earlier with the men's. Yeah, okay. Good. I'm doing everything right. Yeah. <laughs> Except the exercise. I'm Except not. the exercise, and for me, it's the sleeping. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I'll tell you, you know what? Just be exposed to this information. Um, I have changed things in my own personal lifestyle. Like, I, I was never heavy, but I didn't necessarily eat well. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd skip the meals, and I'd eat the fast food and the junk food. Yeah. Um, and maybe it was adrenaline that kept, you know, my weight under control. But I'm now more careful about the food choices I make. And I also take more vitamins than I used to. Now, like not just the multivitamin, but I am taking the omega-3s and I am taking the Bs and the Ds mm-hmm. um, because uh, they're good for your brain health. Yeah. I, it, there seems to be not controversy necessarily, but it's, there seems to always be a back and forth on the benefits of, of uh, supplements and vitamins. And yeah. I'm not quite sure I, I, I know what the right thing is there. And, and right. um, you know, I've heard that if the supplements or vitamins are, um, what's the word I'm looking for? If they're not holistic, I guess. No, you, if you get them synthetic, it's better. Yes. There's no question. Right. But again, not everybody has the opportunity to necessarily get the proper intake um, of, of, you know, the, the, the nutrients that these vitamins may be giving your body. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, maybe a bit like chicken soup, but I'm going to take it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. right. To, to balance out whatever my diet, may, I might, may not have in my diet or, you know, vitamin D, if I'm not in the sunshine enough, you know, I want to make sure that I, you know, get at least more into my body than, you know, perhaps my own lifestyle allows me to take it. Yes. Yeah. You know what? We, we can only do the best we can each day, right? right. Just try to try to do right. the right thing. Step at a time. Yeah. Talk to me about your boys for a little bit, yeah. Lynn. And and you have three sons. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that they, you know, they've learned great lessons from you and watching the work that you've done over the years. What are some of the things that they're doing um, following in your footsteps? Well, again, they each did things differently in terms of their own um philanthropic causes that mm-hmm. they were involved in. Um, my middle son uh, uh, went to university uh, in a music program, and he 
wanted to raise money for uh, the school to get more equipment. So he, uh, his, his passion was sort of Pink Floyd style of music, so he put together a band, mm-hmm. and they, they uh, put on two concerts, two different years, uh, Pink Floyd music cover, and they raised uh, tens of thousands of dollars for the university, which was great. So that was his thing. And again, it was all student-led, which they loved. Mm-hmm. Um, my older son actually just did a, uh, a bike uh, fundraiser uh, for AIDS research, actually. He rode from Toronto to uh, Montreal um, over the course of five days, I guess, uh, and uh, raised money for that cause because that was near and dear to his heart. Mm-hmm. And my younger son actually um, put on a golf tournament for... Uh, fundraiser for Maccabi to allow uh, kids to go to Israel to compete in the Maccabi games um, that couldn't afford to go themselves. So again, they each found something that interested them. Um, and all we could do was say, go for it. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And and you know what? That doesn't always mean that's the only cause or the last cause. You know, as you go, we go through life, you learn about different um, things that need attention or help and you know, that's what makes it exciting and rewarding. Yes. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some of the future plans for um, WBHI mm-hmm. and, and some of the things that you have planned for 2015. Um, we actually uh, have just um, agreed to participate financially uh, in a large Canadian research study. Um, and this is very exciting for us um, from a number of perspectives, but um just uh, a few months ago, the uh, Canadian Minister of Health, uh, Rona Ambrose, uh, announced a uh, large multi-million dollar consortium of neurodege- neurodegenerative disease researchers from across Canada, um, I think there's 340 of them, that are participating in a uh, large study on uh, brain aging diseases with um, to focus on three areas, delaying the onset of dementia and related illnesses, preventing illnesses from occurring, and improving the quality of life for people living with these illnesses and their caregivers. Because we are participating as a funding partner, the research that's going to happen from the scientists for the next five years will now have a women and dementia core, meaning that for the first time they are going to look at their studies by sex and gender. So we're very excited about this because for the first time, because of the financial commitment that we've made, we're actually going to be able to see some studies that are going to consider very specifically sex and gender. So for us, in terms of putting first monies to work in the research area, this is a great way to get lots of um, studies done that now looking at by sex and gender. So we're really excited about that, and that's just uh, been announced, and it's moving forward into 2015. So the first time we're, we're now going to start, now we won't get the results, obviously, right away, because some of these studies are longer term. Yes. Um, but um, we're now going to be able to say this is the type of research that Women's Brain Health Initiative is involved in. The other thing that we're doing in 2015, which I'm excited about, like I mentioned earlier, is actually launching in the United States. And we're looking at doing something that's, quite high profile in New York to start, um, but we hope to be able to, um, you know, have events across the country the same way that we did here in Canada. And one of the reasons for going outside of Canada is that not only is this a global issue, 
but there's fabulous scientists in many different countries, not just in Canada. So it's important for us to expand beyond uh, Canada and move into the U.S. and start to deal with some of the science and scientists in the United States. And we hope uh, in another three years to uh, actually be in a position to go into the U.K. I have, I've had some interest um, uh, from uh, England as well in terms of coming over there, but I figured, I, you know, you have to sort of walk before you run. Right. <laughs> um, so I said, let me deal with North America first. Right. Um, the other thing that we did in 2014 that I'm hoping we can do more of in 2015 is we actually did um, a periodical. Uh, I do have a version of it online um, because uh, printing costs were high, but we did produce about 100,000 copies and distributed them through our national uh, newspaper here in, in Canada. And it got into many people's hands. And it's, again, it's all in lay terms, but it's taking the science and the scientist's perspective and getting it out there to people so that they can understand what they can do to help themselves or their loved ones. And I, I was shocked at how well-received this, this periodical was. Um, I even had people call me and ask me if I could do it in other languages. Uh, for instance, the Spanish-speaking community seems to be lacking this type of information, and I was asked if I would translate it into Spanish. And I thought, well, why just stop at Spanish? <laughs> you know, right. There's lots of people where you know English is in their native tongue, and they should have the benefit of this information as well. Yeah. Now, we have to raise the money in order to do this, um, but we are looking at doing more of, of uh, these periodicals uh, into 2015 and beyond. And uh, other people like to learn by watching. So we do have some uh, great videos online um, right now. It's through the Mind Over Matter program. And... Um, uh, again, this is uh, filming these scientists as they're speaking um, to get the information, in, you know, uh, uh, for people. Um, one of them actually was in French, and we have the subtitles underneath it um, because it was uh, done in Montreal, and the uh, researcher uh, spoke French. Um, so we hope to uh, do more of these uh, moving forward. Again, all dependent on the amounts of money that we raise. So we definitely have some uh, some uh, great plans moving forward into 2015 and beyond. Yeah. Lynn, are, do you know of other organizations that are doing what you're doing, um, whether it's in the U.S. or, or globally? Yeah. Um, not quite from the same uh, perspective as ours. Of course, the Alzheimer's uh, Association is a fantastic resource. Um, we have done things in conjunction with them. We're not competing with them. We'd like to, you know, work alongside them. Um, I think it's more because we're a bit unique because of the angle that we have, which is uh, more for women. And, again, not just in terms of dementia. Um, there's other mental health issues that affect women more than men, uh, and because it does deal with the brain, um, we like to, you know, put uh, more focus on those areas as well. Mm-hmm. Again, we're slightly different than others, and um, we hope that we can make a difference for women everywhere, really, for, for ourselves, for our mothers, and for our daughters. Right. Well, you know, I think it's often um, very beneficial to be more focused. So, in other words, if you're, you know, your focus is women, mm-hmm. um, sometimes to, to kind of laser focus your 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 cause and and be strategic there you might see um results quicker than if you're you know it's a broader uh 
demographic right. that you're dealing with. Right. And again, it's not that we don't want research to look at men's brains. We just, right. want, to, we just want to level that research playing field and make yeah. sure that scientists are looking at both men and women. And if it costs more to look at the female rats, then we'll fund the female rats. Right. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> you know, sometimes there's a confusion. Um, I mean, we I'm at an age where many of my, you know, friends and colleagues were seeing our pa- parents aging. And sometimes you see a change in them. Mm-hmm. And you think, gosh, you know, is it is it senility? Is it dementia? Is it Alzheimer's? Mm-hmm. Are there, I mean, I know you're not a doctor, but are there um, signs or, or things that we can look for to determine where we think they might be headed? Um, yes. Uh, I, I think if, if, there, if you're noticing changes, and some of it's, you know, again, natural aging and, mm-hmm. and nothing to panic about. And they say it's not if you, you know, forget where you put your keys, but if you don't know where, what your keys are for, um, yeah, where there's a day. problem. But there are, there are the signs, and this did come out from the Alzheimer's, you know, association. And, uh, you know, it's behavioral changes. Um, it's um, losing track of time and place, not being able to deal with money anymore. Um, those are some of the signs uh, that, you know, you might see. And around the holiday time is very important because that's when a lot of people notice changes more dramatically because they may not see a parent or a loved one as often as around the holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, so things may come to light um, at this time of year. Um, the only thing I can say is it's important to get proper medical assessment. There, there is a lot of uh, similarities in symptoms with dementias and other things, like urinary tract infection, for instance, can cause confusion and, and, and memory issues. Yeah. So some of these things are treatable. It doesn't necessarily mean dementia. Right. So, you know, it's important to be properly assessed um, when you see the, the, the changes. It's very hard, though, to convince somebody who doesn't think that they are starting to lose it cognitively that they have an issue. Oh, sure. Right. That, that is a tough thing. It to is. encourage somebody. But, you know... Um, it's important for people to have a baseline mm-hmm. so that, you know, as they get older, you know, and changes, uh, you know, are more noticeable, at least they've had this baseline. Exactly. Yes. And, and all this information is so great, Lynn, um, for everyone to be aware of. Um, again, awareness is, is, is the key so yeah. that then you take the proper steps to doing what you need to do. Right. Yeah. And, you know, Alzheimer's, I think, is just so incredibly fascinating in and of itself. You know, when you think about people who have had it, and my grandfather had it, and you see the things that they are forgetting and and that they're struggling with, but yet then something will come about um, that's so far from their past, and it comes to the forefront. It's it's really interesting. That's right, because it's stored, those memories, long-term memories are stored in a different part of the brain. Yeah. And and there actually is um, a lot of research around music. And yes, yes, there is. And music seems to trigger a lot of uh, uh, positive yes, memories. Yes, it for does. Yeah. So they find, um, you know, especially people that are in uh, later stages of dementia, that music is both soothing as well as very, um, uh, can trigger lots of great memories. I remember um, my sister in law's father, as he was in later stages of dementia, and couldn't have a conversation. But when a familiar tune was on, he'd be singing. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I just saw a video yesterday on that. A woman who hadn't spoken in years, and and someone made an attempt through song to reach her, and she spoke. It really, it was remarkable. Yeah, I think it gives you the goosebumps. Yeah, it really does. It really does. <laughs> Lynn, we're um we're just about out of time, and I'd love for you to give your contact information for the listeners if they'd sure. like to reach out to you. Sure, that would be great. So, um, you can. Uh, uh, reach me personally through the website, uh, but all the information is on the website that we've talked about today. It's uh, womensbrainhealth.org or wbhi.org. You can get to it either way. Um, and again, if you are interested in the uh, the food piece, the memorymorsels.org, you can get to that through our main website or the hopenot.org. You can also get that through yeah. to that through our main website. Okay, and I and I've seen that, and it's a beautiful design. It really is. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> Lynn, thank you so much for joining us here today. I really appreciate it, and, and your story is amazing, and the work you're doing is wonderful. Thank you, Sue, and really happy holidays to you and all your listeners. Thank you. You, you as well. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. And again, my name is Sue Rocco, and I'd love to hear from you if you have any questions about the show. Feel free to reach out to my website at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net. Have a great week, everyone.